and welcome back to Unicorns and Hand Grenades, everyone. My name's Jax, and my co-host Kim and I are wrapped that you've chosen to join us in this series of real and raw conversations that we'll be having with each other and our guests, where we explore the nature of being human and embracing life in all of its brutal magnificence. We hope you enjoy this ride as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. So let's get into the conversation. And we are back, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Unicorns and Hand Grenades. And we are really excited, Kim and I, to be sitting here with Janelle Brunton Rennie. And some of you might see whatever we choose to title this conversation and go, wow, they're saying excited. But this is a conversation about a deep journey of grief, but it's a conversation of light, hope, and growth as well. So let me just tell you a little bit about Janelle before we get started. She is a writer and a communicator. She's someone who's passionate about finding words for big feelings and talking about them in a way that brings about and ignites healing and hope for people who have either gone through their breaking moments, their loss moments. She is also a mama to Sage, a really beautiful part of who she is as a human. And she has a career in PR and marketing. And she's the founder and director of Media Jam. And as we wind towards the end of the conversation or during the conversation, I'm sure we'll talk about that as well. She's had her fair share of hand grenade moments as well as finding unicorn moments within and out the back of those. And I think with that, let's just get into it. And Kim, I'm going to ask you to start off. Okay, well, welcome, Janelle. So excited to have you here today. And so I guess the the best way to start off this conversation, um, we would love to hear, I guess, a bit of your the story that brought you to this place where we are now. I... um... There's probably a lot of backstory that we will touch on as our conversation goes on. Um, but the, the real um, sharing, I guess, started when um, it was the day after my third wedding anniversary and my beautiful, gorgeous, strong, fit, healthy, most stunning human you've ever seen, hubby, walked out of the shower and says to me, Jay, do you think this feels a little bit hard? And he kind of prodded at his abdomen a bit. And I very nonchalantly poked at his abdomen and went, yeah, you should go to the doctor about that. Didn't think anything of it. The man never got a cough, cold, flu um, in the seven years we were together. And then, um, and we also had a four-month-old daughter at the time. Uh, and then it was a, that day my life unraveled through my hands, just, uh, just a series of moments where you, you can't wake up from. And essentially, um, I never did, really. So uh, Kurt went to the doctor that afternoon because he was the type of bloke that got onto that stuff very quickly. Doctor sent him for an ultrasound up the road. Ultrasound lady was a bit sheepish and said, oh, you have to go back to your doctor for these results. I never want when we go get an ultrasound. And now I know why. Uh, went back to the, the doctor and the doctor said to him, you've got two large masses going on your spleen. And a CT scan the next day revealed that he had widespread lymphoma. Um, and uh, Kurt's lymphoma was highly, highly aggressive. It almost killed him within three weeks of finding that, um, that lump in his abdomen. Um, and he was admitted to hospital and test revealed that he had stage four. They did warn me. They said that... Um, and I remember very clearly standing uh, in the bright lights of the haematology ward at Auckland Hospital holding my four-month-old baby. And Kurt's doctor came out and said to me, does your husband have a will? There's a very good chance he's not going to make this. And um, that's one of those moments where the you feel your whole world. Uh, it's like the lights go out everywhere and you're just standing in the spotlight. And I can't even describe it but you don't feel like you're in your own body and you're, you're having this out-of-body surreal experience where you think, I just want to wake up from this nightmare now. This can't be happening to me. Um, and initially, uh, the next day, Kurt started pre-phase chemo and actually responded extremely well. And they told us, look, he's totally going to make this. Um, six treatments and you guys are through this. So by the, the May, we June, May, June, we thought we're home and hose, we're done, we're dusted. And we actually went to Fiji. 
um, for a holiday to celebrate the fact that we could put um, all of that behind us and step forward into life with these new eyes and this new heart and this new appreciation for things that we genuinely take for granted until we're met with our own mortality or the mortality of someone that we love the most in the entire world. Um, and when we were in Fiji, a couple of things started happening where I thought, oh, oh, maybe that's just the side effects of, you know, chemo, like he's just had chemo for six months. But when we got back, Kurt actually wound up in hospital very quickly. Um, and we found that there were now five tumours growing in his abdomen. He'd blown through the chemo. Uh, we had two lots of um, salvage chemo that they could try, but um, their odds now were down to 20%. And it's at that stage that I, uh, or that we, started researching CAR T therapy in Boston, immunotherapy in Boston. And when Kurt actually did blow through the salvage chemo very quickly and it didn't do anything, we actually went to Boston. And he spent four months in Boston undergoing um, groundbreaking best treatment in the world, CAR T therapy. And at first, we actually thought that Kurt had had the right result um, when he had a scan around. 80 to 90% of all of that very, very advanced cancer was totally gone. And it was just this tiny little light that lit up, lit up like a very bright bulb right where his liver was. And I remember thinking of all of the scans I've seen, I've never seen something like quite that bright. Um, and unfortunately, the cancer that was left uh, was what, what we believe it was, was it was actually too powerful and it overrun the CAR-T therapy. Um, and Kurt passed away. We were very lucky to get him home um, just after Christmas and into the new year, and he passed away on the 7th of January, which was three days short of our fourth wedding anniversary and only five days short of the day that he found the lump. Thank you so much for sharing that, Janelle. In listening to you as someone who's had a grief journey, much like Kim and so many of our listeners, it's so interesting how we can physically be taken back to that point. There's always a point, right? You know, the bright lights in the hospital, the pinpoint, everything else fading black around. You know, we've all got those points. And so, you know, listening to that uh, has been a real gift. And what's really important, I think, to understand about these journeys is there's a way through like no matter how intense they are, the only way out is through. And so that would be something we'd be really keen to explore because I know one thing that you believe is that life can be tough, but we don't get have to get tougher to meet her at that place, right? So I'm really keen to understand and hearing that. So, you know, life can be tough. I can't imagine anyone would be listening to you and think of anything tougher than going through that with your beautiful daughter, Sage. How did you meet life on a different set of terms? So you get hit with tough. Yeah. How did you move through that without just toughening up yourself? Yeah, yeah, because I um, I think it's easy to try to meet force with force. Um, what I think a cancer journey does and then um, losing a cancer journey does is for me it taught me surrender like it, it taught me that I was always one of those uh, or I still am uh, this type a high achiever um, you know whatever I put my mind to I like that sort of person so I genuinely believed well there's, there's no way we could mindset this we're going to mindset our way through this cancer right like you know, um, and and I was actually really big on the mind, mindfulness and, and the mindsetting and the manifestation and all of those things. Um, and then when you're presented with something like this, um, which was also very humbling for someone like me who had an ethical PR business, who lived a vegan lifestyle, who had a chemical-free home, um, who genuinely thought I was doing everything I could to live a good life and were told that good things happen to good people, how on earth did something like this then find me and my family? And then how on earth did it beat us? How did, you know, like, um, anyway, it was surrender. I, I think it's taught me the art of surrender. Uh, for me, I feel like I can be the best person I can be. I can try and be the best human I can be. 
with the very best of intentions and love and kindness and live life in a certain way. But sometimes I think the universe has a plan. In fact, I, I feel like the universe does meet us halfway. And I think the things that are meant for us find us mm. and the things that aren't meant for us. Um, and that's not saying that I don't think it was meant for me. I feel like uh, the lessons um, that I've learned from this were obviously meant for me. And I've been told by many spiritual people that I was given this because it's my job to light the path uh, for so many that have to walk that's behind me and so I take that responsibility quite seriously which is why I've shared it um, so openly um, and so rawly and I never thought I'd post a picture of myself ugly crying on social media but hey you know like everyone talks about social media by and boy being a highlight reel my Instagram is no highlight reel like my Instagram is a very raw real um unplugged sort of account of all of the highs and lows that happen over a cancer journey uh, and the grief journey. Anyway, bringing it back to your question, I think it taught me the humbleness of truly surrendering um, to you can do your very best, but there are things that we have um, no say over in this world. Um, and I was very humbled by that, that the type A in me that used to run Ironmans or uh, marathons do Ironmans and was a competitive bodybuilder all of a sudden I couldn't hustle for the result that I wanted here it wasn't a direct reflection that was a very humbling thing for me this was the first time in my life where the outcome was not a direct reflection of me putting 150% of every drop of my soul into something to do it the very best that I could because we both did that and we still didn't get the outcome we wanted so there was a real um humbling element to that loss um, and there was a real surrender to it there are many things that are out of our control and I think um, in the world we like we like to think that we are in control I think sometimes we clutch at things like mindset or uh, manifestation or all of these things to give us a sense of control over some things that we genuinely have no control and I do think if you spend enough time walking the corridors of any hospital in particular, a children's hospital, you become very, very humbled that there are many things that cannot be explained or cannot be controlled. Um, and, yeah, that, that was the biggest lesson for me, Jax, was, was the art of surrender and the art of um, sometimes the outcome may not be what we want it to be, and that's not necessarily, or in a cancer situation, it's never the result of someone not fighting hard enough, let's be honest. Yeah, isn't that the truth? And it's a theme that comes through in a lot of our conversations and you know a lot of people have said you know at the beginning of my journey because my husband um my ex-husband also went through cancer um and yeah my marriage breaking up after 30 years in a way I just didn't expect people can tell you at the time you know you're going to come out of it things will be better than you thought and I'm not sure better is always the way that they're different and, you know, in my case, it's been better, but we can't tell people that at the beginning of the journey. We can share it like we all do in these storytellings out the back of it to hopefully help them understand that you don't have to wait for a hand grenade like we've all been through to learn the value of surrender. Because surrender to me, it's that duality, right? You surrender, the surrendering is just pain it's the dark night of the soul it's the letting go it's the meeting universe halfway but the surrender was also beauty it's beauty it's life it's love um so yeah that seems to be a common gift that comes through in a lot of the stories we hear Kim what's coming up for you um I just got a little bit emotional then when I was listening to you because your story mirrors mine quite a lot you know those moments of hope that are then death and then more hope and then things change and they're not as we expect or hope they will end up being. And I think surrender definitely into accepting that there are things that you cannot control and then deciding, well, what is it that I can control? It's our today and what do we do with that day? But, you know, that's taken me right back to some of those moments that I've experienced too. And your story resonates so much with me because there are so many similarities and I think out the back of something like this you just learn so much about yourself and like I've just had my son's fourth birthday and he was 17 months when my mum died so on the weekend it was really exciting and then there's these moments where you're like so much time has already passed and also 
there's someone really special that's not here to share that with us. And so it's beautiful and painful and it's all tightly intertwined. And that's what makes life so precious and magical and hard and raw and all of it. So, you know, I feel really privileged that I get to share space with you and your story today because it, for me, it's also, I, I guess, feeling like my own experiences you know someone else understands because that's what we're trying to do here this is what we're all trying to do um yeah is a it's um I feel like a lot of the uh, there's a number of people that follow me on social media who have also suffered immense loss and um I actually talk about sometimes widowhood being the exclusive club that no one ever wants to join mm-hmm. um but there's a there's a camaraderie amongst people that have suffered immense loss mm-hmm. Um, because you you feel like you don't have to translate a part of your soul anymore to people that that can't understand that and and how wonderful it is that they can't understand that yet you know what I mean like that, that's great but for those of us that have then there's there's a there's a um, there's an element of uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, just pure understanding like. When, and when someone says I understand, we actually know they understand. That's not just the line they're giving us because they do not know what to say. <laughs> and we hear that a lot too, right? Yeah, yeah. It's being it's being seen. It's being seen from the heart space. It's being seen from a different place yeah. that you know only someone else has has travelled from, right? And there's so many aspects of this. I'm just so keen to explore. Um, And one of them is judgment around grief. So we had a very good friend of ours talk about losing her two-year-old daughter 10 years ago. And she talked about when she had the funeral, because it was about celebrating Enya, who was two, she invited, there were kids there, it was around a pool. She served cakes and there were balloons because she was celebrating the life of a two-year-old child who was pure energy. And she did, she just struggled well, she didn't struggle, but people were judging her and a couple of people said things where, you know, you're kind of like, oh, man. So what's been your experience? What has your experience been like around support and judgment throughout your grief journey? Um, oh, I just, I've got a bit emotional uh, when you were talking about that. I um, I, I understand uh, how I, I feel like it's really important as I don't, everyone has different belief systems. My belief system, I believe in reincarnation. I believe, um, I believe that our souls know what we're doing. I, I believe that I have navigated this, or I have been told I have navigated immense loss like this before, and any old soul will have navigated immense loss. So I've always said to people, I don't know why, but there's a part of me that knows exactly what I'm doing here. And I'm very fortunate, possibly because I don't know anybody my age who has gone through an experience like this, that no one has tried to tell me how to grieve or how to honour Kurt. And for that, I am grateful because if anyone tried to tell me how I could and couldn't honour my husband or how I was or was not allowed um, to grieve my husband, uh, that would be very triggering for me. And I haven't had that I felt uh, when Kurt passed, I um, like talk about the shock and trauma and all of those elements. You know, like my God, I I, I had no idea. Uh, I had to do a lot of um, I did a lot of work reframing the trauma of those past seven days or ten days, the last ones, because of how deeply they affected me. But I threw being a PR person, I threw myself into planning the most phenomenal send off for him that I possibly could, because that was the only way that I could honour him. And I did. I, I, My God, and I, I actually, I can't even believe it, but I got up and spoke in front of a 1,000 people and I gave this speech of my lifetime, essentially, and I, um, I'm just so proud of being able to stand there and I felt so strong like he was standing right behind me. And I didn't cry and I would have been okay to cry. I greeted every single person at the door as they, as they came in for his um, funeral. I could only just start to call it a funeral in the last six months, it was a farewell for a very long time. Um, just like I couldn't call it death, I talked about passed away. So there's there's some words that I've been able to start using um, along the way. Um, but look, I have honoured I have honoured him in exactly the way that feels right for my soul, and for that I am grateful that no one told me I could and couldn't do that. Um, I've I don't think anyone would have dared impose. Um, judgment on someone who was going through um let's face it your worst nightmare right like 
people talk about, oh God, that would be my worst nightmare. But really, I who's the top? It's really, right, we've got cows. It was my um worst nightmare. And I, I actually look back on it all now and there's not a single thing I change about the way that I honoured or have grieved him at all in truth, because I've um I've answered it or honored it, honored it energetically. So at the six month mark, um, Kurt's uh, clothes were all still in our walkthrough wardrobe, and I knew it was time. At that, I, I knew the minute that something no longer provides comfort, but actually was very confronting for me. And so I, I it was a very horrendous. I went and bought some great big Sistema plastic things and I packed everything up and I put it away and I put it under the house because I wasn't ready to get rid of it but I was certainly ready to remove it from my my constant vision you know the 10 million times you walk through your wardrobe every day or whatever it was so I've honored everything energetically I've never pushed myself to do something that doesn't feel right for me and if it doesn't feel right for me I've waited until it has and um I'm very grateful for that. And that would probably be the the one that one of the most important pieces of advice I could give to anyone going through the start of a grief journey and the early grief stages. Honor what feels right for you. If you want to keep their toothbrush in the bathroom for as long as you want, you keep it there, man. Like you don't, there's they're never going to have another toothbrush. That that's just the other thing. Small things, you get very sentimental about very small things. So only do things as they feel right for you and don't let anyone else tell you differently. That that's so important in the grief journey. Yeah. So there's some real clear things that have come through. And I think before I just kind of nutshell them, when we talk about the grief journey, and Tanya highlighted this as well, grief is grief, right? And whatever someone is going through or might be faced with going through, it might be different than what all three of us has been through, but the process is a process and the things that work, work. So surrender, key, and that real, what I'm hearing from you, Janelle, is that real compassion and kindness to yourself with a direct connect in to what is right for you from a soul space. No rule. No. No. Really be kind enough then to honour what feels right for you. There's no rule book, there's no playbook, there's no instruction book yep. for how to deal with grief. And I know that because I've read a ton of grief books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You take the little bits that resonate and you leave the bits that don't. Yeah, absolutely. And there's something I'd like to explore that you mentioned because I'm a big believer in this and it might be going a little to the woo-woo side for some of our listeners. But okay. again, I believe everything I've been through, um, my ex-husband's cancer journey, 30 years of marriage ending, job blowing up, mother passing away with cancer. I know every part of that journey has got me to where I am here. And I know that I've spun around on this planet in different incarnations and at different times. And I'm really clear about what I'm here to do now. And this is a part of what it looks like. There are other parts of what that looks like. What was your view on that before? your experience of loss with Kurt? Exactly the same. So I'd already navigated a few uh, challenging situations in life um, uh, before Kurt was diagnosed, which is why I thought we were living such a perfect, and I say perfect with my inverted comment things, you can't see this on the podcast, life. Um, I had um, actually had breast implant illness because when I was uh, a bodybuilder, I... um, I got breast implants so that I could become a professional bodybuilder. Essentially, it's a bit of a thing. Um, and I have a very sensitive constitution. I'm a very sensitive being, a very sensitive soul across the board. And my body did not like these foreign objects that I'd put into it, and understandably. And I actually became very unwell for about five years. And over that five years, um, I then had to um, slow down. <laughs> get a life coach but I studied Buddhism mindfulness I started meditating I I went plant-based like I did I did all the things um but I think what it did is I I'd already I already um lived life by a very sound set of um a very sound belief system um and a belief system that actually has then worked for me very very well over the course of navigating this loss. Um, and I don't actually think it's changed in all truth. Like it, it, it took me, um, maybe like when you're at university, you read a lot of textbooks 
Um, but you really don't utilize those textbooks until you're out in the workforce. So maybe the belief system with all of the studies that I've done around um, Buddhism and mindfulness and meditation and all of these beautiful practices, and I was doing them, but I'd never had to utilize and draw on those practices to get me through hell and back, essentially. So all of a sudden, it wasn't just regurgitating the textbook. It was actually, it was like I was, I was the apprentice now, like, God, I'm in the big job out of uni, and I've got to remember what I learned in all of these courses and textbooks and put it into play now. Yeah, the school of hard knocks, and I don't think there's probably any uh, complete accident that you were doing all of these studies and drawn to this learning, you know. I'm very grateful for those breast implants because genuinely they, they, uh, they, they drew out this highly spiritual side that was always within me anyway that I actually pushed down in my 20s because I didn't want to be seen as a weirdo. So I was like, no, I'm not going to like be that woo-woo whatever that wants to, I like, I was like, no, no, no. And essentially I had no choice but to meet that that girl again who who used to meditate and stuff at 18 and then it was uncool, and, you know. Um, so essentially it was, I had all of the principles and practices there, but now I actually had to put them into play. Yeah, so I shut down the old intuition um, until t- it's time to recharge it again. Again, it's yeah. a really similar theme on our journeys, Kim. Um, one of the things I'd love to, to um, ask about or, or discuss with you, I guess, one of the things that I've found most challenging about my own grief journey is this notion of like the grief of the what could have been. So, oh God, I made a note to talk about no. that before Kim. <laughs> so, so it's not, I mean, there's the physical loss of the person, but then there's also the loss of the, like when I think about my own situation, like the school holidays with the grandparents, attending the graduations, yep. like coming to, you know, all of those kinds of things. And then that's gone. Or what I thought I was going to have was yep. gone. And there's this new relationship because like you, I have my own spiritual beliefs and I certainly don't think that my parents are far away from me. In fact, I know they're not, but it's a redefining of this relationship in a way that you could never have expected. And I wondered what that has been like for you. Oh God, I've got so much to say on that topic. Um, so grief is a loss in itself. What people don't understand are the secondary losses the secondary losses are enormous. Uh, the friendships, like all of a sudden, um, people leave the funeral and they've sent their flowers or whatever it is, and you don't hear from anyone again because they don't want to say the wrong thing. They don't want to upset you. Um, I I have best friends that I genuinely pretty much haven't heard from since, and initially that really hurt, that really stung. But you know what? People can only meet you as deeply as they have already met themselves. That is what I have learned. So I, instead of harboring resentment or whatever it is about it, um, I'm actually, it's an open door policy. People can come in and out of my life exactly as they're meant to. I'm not going to stand at the door and tell them why they should take a second stay. Uh, again, it's that surrender element, right? So the, the secondary losses with the friendships were quite interesting or quite painful to start with. The other things is that... Um, I've actually posted before about how when Kirk died, I died with him. The woman I was died with him. The hopes, the dreams, the plans, the holidays, the the wife, the the everything. Like you don't just lose them, you lose you as well because there are so many marriages. Kurt and I were, we were half of each other. Like we were, my God, we were each other's best friends. We were each other's everything. And we we loved each other so deeply and they always say oh you know you know we shouldn't have someone who completes us but you know what we had the most beautiful marriage where we actually were each other's yin and yang so all of a sudden I'd lost the very thing that would have helped me get through this the very grounding the very yin to my often intense yang that the one person who would have walked me through this grief and be my shoulder to cry on and cuddled me at, at night was gone um, so that was a very confronting thing was I, I had to get to know who I was um, now that, that I'm no longer Kurt's wife in the physical. Um, and I also was then a very different me because all of a sudden I'd seen things and I'd witnessed things that I couldn't unsee. Yeah. And then I had a lot of trauma to start unpacking, which I, I was totally new to me. It was something that I couldn't even comprehend or understand um, prior to that. And it's only someone who has, I think, watched someone die a very painful death will be able to understand that as well. There's there's some things that 
uh, I describe those last few days as just constant uh, nails down a chalkboard. And they, they, they carve into your soul, man. Like you can't forget that. So I actually had to reframe it. I actually took what I wanted to do to a grief counsellor and I had three sessions reframing the last 10 days with that grief counsellor and choosing different words to try and associate those things within my memory because I thought, God, this is, I can't continue to live with that pain walking within me. Um, and then the other thing is that the loss of the future, like this is a, um, you go through this stage where you've been putting money away and for what, for what holiday? For what, whatever, I grieve the loss of Sage's father. I, you know, it wasn't just the loss of my husband. I actually think I more intensely grieved the loss of a father in her life because in my mind, he was the far better parent. I was the one that was like a fish out of water. Like I actually had, um, I had suffered from some pretty decent, I, say, I used to say baby blues, but the more I read about postnatal depression, I had a pretty solid dose of it. And I was working with postnatal depression and newborn under my desk full time after two weeks off with uh, my company. And Kurt propped me up through all of that. Um, and then again, you look back on it all and there's a, uh, there was a story brought up this week to, and I talked about this immense, uh, when you lose someone, there's immense guilt at all of the ways you could have been a better wife or a better partner. There's immense anger and anger that no one talks about, anger at him. I genuinely remember one night just screaming at him, like, how dare you leave me like this? You know, like, how dare you leave me like this? And I meant it. I was so, so angry at him. And it wasn't his choice. And to someone that's not navigated mm. grief, that's going to sound like the most ridiculous thing to say. But if you if you never, if you read about the different stages of grief, anger is a very real one. And if you read about people that have, lost like that um it's totally normal I'm not the only person that screamed at the universe and at her husband for dying and it might sound totally irrational but there's some elements of grief that really aren't rational at all either so the secondary losses hit me um very hard and surprised me very much and I um I did read a Buddhist quote early on probably about three months in though and it it spoke about, I can't remember the exact quote, but I posted about it, and it spoke about um, you've got to bring grief back to the present moment um, and you've got to grieve in the present moment because I actually think about 50% of my grief was grieving the loss of what was meant to be. Mm-hmm. And so when I step back and I let go of what was meant to be and I let go of, as you called it, the school holidays with the grandparents, I let go of the the missing father in Sage's life. I let go of all of those things that were meant to be. I actually think I probably halved the pain I was feeling very early on in the grief process just through reading that Buddhist text on grieving. That's beautiful. And in fact, we'll get it off you after we've recorded and we'll pop it up uh, when we pop this episode up and the story about it on Instagram. And... That one thing there that you just said about the minute you let let go of the stories because, God, our minds are tricky buggers, right? We live in our heads so much. And when we live in our head, we make up stories and those stories. I was grieving fiction. I actually realized I'm grieving fiction. That never happened. And that was very confronting, but it was very releasing for me. Yeah. I love the way you put that grieving fiction. but And because, you know, when you talk about having to reframe the last 10 days of Kurt's life that were like fingers down a chalkboard, you know, that's, there's stuff, you know, PTSD is PTSD for a reason. There's you know, post-traumatic stress is huge. To be able to front that and do it your way, I think is beautiful. And there's something I'd love to explore because you described yourself as, you know, you and, you and Kurt were the, he was the yin to your yang, right? And so when you say that, I've got, and again, listeners might think it's a bit woo-woo, but I'm hearing kind of like divine masculine, like driving, type A, getting shit done. And so how have you started to become your own yin to your yang? What's that looked like? Yeah, well, that, that, it was just like I often describe our marriages, Kurt was like the maypole. And there was like a rope and I just got to dance around it. You know, he just provided me with just this beautiful grounding, unconditional loving energy where I just got to go out and get in there, you know, and I could always come home to my safe place, which was him, which was him. Um, 
how have I, I, I already had a lot of that in me anyway through the work that I'd done. Um, but one of the things, one of the quotes that I, I've repeated a few times, and it's the honest truth, someone said to me at the start, just keep living until you start to feel alive again. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I just decided I'm going to keep myself alive because I could hardly eat for like a whole year. Like I just, I could, grief was so nauseating, I could hardly eat. So I was like, keep myself alive. So I forced myself to eat the foods that didn't make me want to throw up. Uh, keep sage alive and keep my company alive because by keeping my company alive, I can provide for sage and myself. And they were the three things that I did. And so essentially at the start, I was in my masculine um, because I was in survival mode. Like I still, uh, I was in shock for the first three or four months anyway, like this fog, this grief fog rolled in and I could hardly see in front of me in all honesty for quite some time. And I was in shock. And I actually remember thinking, I'm not doing too bad with this. And it was about month four that the reality came home. And I realized he's not still in Boston. Because uh, the, the mind knows what it's seen. My soul took a lot longer to accept what had happened. He's not coming home. I'm not going to hear his keys in the door one day. Surprise! You know, like, I, I, and I, I think that it wasn't until month three or four that it truly, um, my soul actually went, wow, I, it, this is going to sound morbid, but one night I realized that there was a dissonance between my mind knowing what had happened and my soul believing it. And I actually sat on the sofa for one night for about an hour, and I repeated to myself, Kurt's dead, Janelle. He's dead. Kurt died. Like, And I just kept, because I was trying, I, I could feel that I needed in some way to get my soul to understand what had happened because I was still in la-la land with it. I was still in shock, I think, which is which happens when, you know, when it needs to try and, when it's trying, to, uh, again, to keep us alive, right? That's what shock does. So just keep living until I started to feel alive again. And that actually meant that I was in that masculine survival mode. I was pouring myself into my business. Um, it wasn't that I wasn't sitting with it. I remember the early grief being so painful, though, that um, sitting with it was almost unbearable. I couldn't even meditate. I, w- I could not allow myself to meditate for about a year. And that's someone who'd had a regular practice and has gone back to a regular practice. I said to my good friend Claire Robbie, "If I if I allow this to come up, like I don't think I could handle it. I don't. So and again, I just followed what I knew felt right for me at the time. Um, at about the everyone talks about the firsts. I got through the first. I felt them coming like a freight train, um, and they stuck around for about three months, which which frustrated me because I feel like person in me that likes to just get stuff done is like everyone says it's better after the firsts wow it's going to be better I'm going to be better and then I've got a couple of women message me that said oh my second year was way harder than my first and I was like thanks a lot <laughs> <laughs> that's not what you want to hear because my first year was hell but my second year was slightly better than the first it, it really was um and I think then I was started to it's not that I was giving myself permission to step back into that yin step back into that feminine space it's that my body knew it was starting to become safer um, for me to start into that so it's not that I've often thought well is it just that I did I prolong that but it wasn't it was just not I was honoring what felt right and it I wasn't right yet for me to to start going back into that and then I started in my second year my meditation practice became more regular Again, and I started doing a, uh, that's when I started, oh, no, I did do the grief counselling the year prior, I think. It, the thing with grief, um, that's the other thing, grief brain is very real. I, I have the most incredible memory, and there are prob- there's probably a year of my life that I don't have a lot of memory of, quite frankly. And sometimes people come up to me and they say, I'm so sorry I didn't get in touch when Kurt died. And I look at them and I say, I have no idea who got in touch and who didn't. Uh, it's all I, I don't remember any of the details. Sorry. So and also, why the hell didn't you? <laughs> you, you have just outed yourself. What? <laughs> they could have had a hospital pass for that one, right? You yeah. know what makes me smile. And for listeners, I don't know, you may think it's strange that I'm saying I'm sitting here smiling. Is and listening to you talk through the first year and the first and then the second year, and having talked to people that have gone through deep grief that are 10 years on. Oh, this might sound really strange, but I'm I'm excited for you. Like you, yeah, I'm excited for me too as well. Oh, good. I'm glad it didn't sound strange. But uh, no, it's not. 
it'll evolve and it'll evolve and you're this you're in this good place and it just yeah I just I can see and it does get, sometimes it gets worse and then yeah. it gets a bit better again like grief is not linear no. um, I, I think I'm doing really well and every now and again I'm like oh I'm totally through the worst of it and then grief will come yeah. and like smack me in up an uppercut and be like haha actually okay. <laughs> um, it's um I but again I've really learned to surrender to that yeah. And yes. sometimes um, I have to do a lot more work to try and shift that energy. And it's actually very unpredictable. Sometimes it goes with the predictable things, it's birthday, Father's Day, uh, and obviously the holidays, the Christmas, because of my birthday, Christmas, the anniversary of Kurt's passing, our wedding anniversary, and the anniversary of diagnosis, and his funeral. All of those things are this big clusterfuck, essentially, in like six weeks. And that's, that is always a really tough time. And then I get through that and... So it's not always predictable, but there are those big things um, that I'm aware that um, it hangs around a little bit more. Um, and I've also learned you just have to be patient um, in there. Uh, grief kind of comes in waves. And uh, when the big ones come and you find yourself, you're under the water, you've just got to remind yourself that you can hold your breath and you will pop up the other side. So I always just remind myself when I'm in the grips of grief and I am struggling and then there's a frustration that arises within me because I don't want to feel like this anymore I've had enough of feeling so pained you know um I just I just I just have to practice a little bit more self-love and a bit more self-kindness and remind myself that I will pop up the other side and gasp for air that it, it happens every time yeah I love what you said about just keep living until you start to feel alive again best advice ever right I know. I remember just going through the motions and with a three-month-old and like an 18-month-old, I was like, it was full-on survival mode. And I wondered if I'd ever be happy or laugh or find that sparkle again. And then suddenly these moments creep up and then you laugh or you find something or you get And there's guilt, but there's also guilt associated with it initially, right? Yep. And so what did that, do you have any specific memories of when you were like, wow, actually the light, the sun's starting to shine again? Because I know I've, I had moments where the kids would do something really funny and would be rolling around on the floor laughing. And then the next minute you'd be sort of back feeling yeah, guilty and also wondering like, was that, is it just these little glimmers Um but it just caught me by surprise, I guess. Mm. I can't recall anything specifically, Kim, which is interesting because normally I keep those moments. Uh, sometimes I think it's easier to the pain. Sometimes imprints a little bit deeper than the happiness. Um, for me, it was when I started to be able to taste again. Uh, I wasn't nauseous mm. all the time. Um I remember I remember when there was a once upon a time I was just I was always sad and there were tiny little moments of fleeting happiness. And I do remember thinking at one stage that it's almost flipped around the other way now. I'm actually mostly okay now, but there are little fleeting moments of real sadness. Mm. Um and uh I don't remember when that happened though, because I feel like it was so gradual. Mm. It was just uh, there was there was nothing where I can recall. But I do remember reading a book where someone says you actually catch yourself laughing. I do remember that happened to me. Like, oh, my God, I just laughed. Am I allowed to do that? Mm. Like, do I look, what will other people think if they saw me? Um, I actually went out for a drink with a really good friend of mine who was at our wedding, and he's a bloke. And my plumber saw me out for a drink, and it was May, so it was about five months after Kurt had passed. And I was really mortified because I thought he might think I was out on a date and that that would be extremely disrespectful. Um, you know, and it, it, so uh, mm. I don't know. The, the, I can't recall fleeting moments of happiness, but I can certainly, I certainly know that things just—it was a very gradual yeah. thing for me. Like, oh my god, I actually uh, can taste something, and there's a little bit of joy associated with that tasting good now. Because for a very long time, life was just—it wasn't even black and white. It was just grey. Everything was just grey. Was just. Um, just keep Sage alive, keep me alive, keep the company alive. And that was all that I poured my entire focus into. And moving forward now from, I guess, as your daughter grows older, what kinds of things are you doing in terms of keeping Kurt's memory alive and and, and her memory, you know, because she was so young then? 
Yeah, I've accepted that Sage is a exceptional, exceptional uh, young girl. Like she was, she was 16, 14 months old, 16 months old when Kurt passed. She's not going to have, and I've accepted this, she's not going to have any real memories of her dad. I have memories from when I was three. So she's going to start, she's three and a half, she's going to start having memories from now. I feel like the memories that she's going to have are ones that I create now. I've been very particular about, we always talk about daddy. Sage understands that daddy's in heaven um, and she I, she probably has a better concept of what death then means than the average three and a half year old because I've not sheltered her from that. Yeah. She will ask me, um, I get weird questions though, how did daddy die? And I say mm-hmm. he got very sick and then she'll say, did daddy not eat enough vegetables? <laughs> you know, because to yeah. children we talk about them being healthy and eat those veggies because they keep us healthy. Yeah. So then she relates and I explain and then the other morning in the car I got a um I got a real curly question as well around um uh what caused daddy to get sick. And I'm gonna get a lot more questions mm. as she becomes older and I'm ready for that and I'm prepared for that and I will honor those the best way that I possibly can. I still have photos all around the house um this might sound morbid to some but Kurt's ashes are actually still here and they are still on his bedside table with the photo that was on top of his coffin um and Kurt and I when he decided he was going to be cremated we actually had a jokey conversation when we found out the cancer was back after the February trip and I actually said and thank god we had that conversation it's not going to happen we're going to beat this with Kati right but let's just let's say whatever how would it look? And I actually, he told me his pallbearers, if that were the case, and this was very lighthearted, um, and that he wanted to be cremated and he wanted to come home with Sage and I, and he wanted to be here as long as he provided comfort to us. And I was just thinking recently, um, two and a half years since he's passed, it's almost getting to the point now where just like the clothes that were in the wardrobe, and all of a sudden I knew that they didn't provide comfort, they were confronting um, Kurt's ashes sitting on his bedside table are uh, getting to that point now where if I want to move on with my life and if in the future I do hope um, to find love again, I believe that we reincarnate with more than one soulmate and I'm very grateful to have found my first. Um, then I do I do have to uh, create space mm. for that. And so that is something that's really been mulling over in my mind lately is what am I going to do with those ashes and what feels right for me but I would definitely not have been ready to even think about that until now yeah and that's the pure unfolding of the journey isn't it like it just changes and morphs and will keep changing and morphing for you and and listening to you when you talked about surrendering to that pain and everything that you've shared with us so far and being at that place where it really is at the beginning, just about taking the next breath and staying alive so I can then get my company, get my daughter, everything sorted and just survive. You know, that place of surviving to thriving, what is it that you're excited for over the next involvement of your journey as Janelle, not your journey of Janelle as someone who survived your story? Yeah, I'm actually excited about lots of things. I um, I mean, I always thought I was a, a pretty great human, in all honesty, but um, the woman that I've become because of navigating this, I'm just so, so proud of. And, like, and you guys will see I get a bit teary. I'm just, I can't believe that I've had to navigate this nightmare, but I'm just so freaking proud of how well I've done it. Um, and how well I've I've honoured and continue to honour Kurt's uh, life, and particularly for Sage, because I think that's really important. She still makes some Father's Day cards. Um, he actually made a series of videos before he died for Sage, and one of them, he asked her to light a candle for him every day on Father's Day so he could see it from up in heaven. So that's something that I will really continue because I feel like that's really important for her. Um, I am excited to really just continue to step into the woman that I keep becoming because of this uh, I don't like to tell people to look from the gifts for, look at the gifts from grief because if grief is different for everyone and like I said before like telling someone how to grieve is like telling them to suck eggs man like you've got no right to do that 
but I think for everyone it's different. And for me, because I'm a, I am naturally a very positive, optimistic person, I've tried to look at the ways that I've become a better person for this because I can't change what happened. Yeah, It is what it is, is one of the things that I has become kind of a, a mantra for me. It is what it is. Um, so I try and look at the ways that this has um, offered me lessons that I otherwise would not have been able to navigate, you know, uh, in life so far. I look at the... The, I don't like to use that word gifts again, but the way that I can then help others. I'm, I've always been really big on helping others. And if I can be the person to other people that I wished I'd been able to find when Kurt first got sick, then there's an honour in that. And I have got women from all over the world that message me pretty much every week with their um, either their husband's just been diagnosed and they thank me so much for whatever, or they've uh, they've, uh, they've been diagnosed and that their husband has started following me to start preparing for whatever, or they've like, I, I just, it's, um, there's a real honour in being able to help guide people through the sheer gut-wrenching suffering pain that I've had to navigate and and to also be that shining light because I know that when Kurt got diagnosed or when Kurt died, I just wanted to look for someone who had got through this. Mm-hmm. I wanted to find someone who could show me that there was light at the end of the tunnel. And even though that wasn't going to sugarcoat it and make it make me feel like I was bad because why was I in so much pain when they looked like they're down through this? I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but to show me that you just got feel all the feels and and ride the highs and the lows. And it really is a roller coaster. But there is light at the end of the tunnel, and you'll never. You'll never, ever be who you were because you're not that woman anymore. Mm. And you wouldn't want to be that woman anymore because that, that woman hadn't gone through this kind of stuff, right? So to really step in and embrace that person that I've become because of all of this and then to be able to help others really excites me, which is what I've been doing. I'm stepping into doing a lot more of the speaking, uh, which is why I keep sharing a lot of uncomfortable things on my social media because I feel like I'm leaving breadcrumbs, essentially, like lighting those torches, like... And again, if I and I'm reminded every now and again when I think, why am I posting this? Why on earth am I sharing? I, I get a message from someone, and it get, it reminds me of the why. It's like keep doing it, keep sharing, keep you know, keep keep writing because every now and again you think, you know, is anyone even listening? And then you get a message from a woman in Wales, and you go, oh my fucking god, people are actually listening, and I am able to be that woman to her that I desperately needed three years ago when there was no one to show me that I can get through this. Um, and there's another big one I want to say. Oh, and I'm oh, I'm also looking forward. I'm looking forward to finding new love. I'm going to be honest. I have been um, one of the things that people don't talk about when your romantic partner gets diagnosed with cancer. Your relationship changes immensely, um, and you're not a romantic partner anymore. You're a caregiver. You're still married. You'd still, you know, like I I, I would have. Like, Walk through. I walked through the, the flames of hell for Kurt and I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. It is an honour to fight for someone the way I fought for him. I, I think I spoke, I've spoken a post about it before where when someone you love is diagnosed like this, there's like a battle cry that happens and it's like you bang your your ancient sword against your shield. You know what I mean? And it's like you're going to war together and you look at each other and you, you know, it's, it's it really is. There's this most innate thing where it's like our souls I don't know it's 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 actually fucking amazing it's amazing to go to war with someone and to, I guess if you win it's great but I guess I had to lay down my sword and I didn't you know um so I'm looking forward I've been I've been by myself now for quite a while because I was a caregiver to my husband and my baby and then I've been everything to sage so it's been it's been three and a half years now um and I would like to be able to find new love at some stage, but I also know you can't hurry that. Um, I won't be on a dating it or anything like that. I still believe that we meet the right people exactly as we are meant to meet them. And I believe that that person will find me or I will walk into them in some serendipitous moment in the street. I believe in sliding doors. I believe in all of that. So I don't believe we have to artificially manufacture anything when it comes to romance and love. Uh, I'm this very hopeless romantic who is, um, I know, 
that Kurt's probably orchestrated this divine creature for us that will come into our lives exactly as he is meant to. And I'm really freaking excited about that. But I've also learned the art of surrender and patience. So I'm just going to keep being me and keep doing me um, so that when that awesomeness arrives, I'm ready for it, right? So I feel excited about that. I'm excited about business. Um, I'm excited about a lot of things in general, and that's not to say that I don't still have good cries and 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 um, wish that what happened hadn't happened. Um, but I also am very, again, it is what it is. I can't do any more than I did. I have immense peace in that. And one of the beautiful things that going to Boston uh, gave me and doing that kati is I can look Sage in the eye and I can tell her that I got your dirty, the very best treatment in the whole world. And we spent a fortune on that. There was no stuff unturned. Like I could, we could not have done anything else. And I can look at myself in the eye in the mirror as well and be very, very proud of that. Um, there was there's never been guilt associated with that. I do enough. Did I, you know, that, that I've never had that. And there's a lot of peace in that for me, for someone who who's very results oriented. Yeah. Thank you. I get excited. You excite me listening to you explain what excites you. I'm also excited to be reminded about the sliding door thing because I too am like you in terms of I believe stuff will come as and when it's meant to come and we'll know our people when we know our people. Magnets are the right the right things, right? Yeah. Like we, we vibrate a certain way and that attracts all of the things that are meant for us. So I just keep um I just keep stepping into being the best human I can be. I feel it's it's cool that you asked that question because I genuinely feel very excited about life and about what I do in life um, and about the life that I share. And I also have this massive, this new perspective, this new appreciation and this new gratitude for things that I, I never would have known to be appreciative or grateful for, or even had the perspective of. Um, and I try and share that as well on my social media. I think half the people that follow me aren't doing, they're not doing so because of the loss. They're doing so because I make them feel more grateful for their beautiful, trouble-free existences. And they they love on their partners a whole lot harder just because my loss reminds them to do so. So I'm really, um, I also make sure I, sure I share things like that. Like, I, you know, like don't sweat the small stuff, the wet bath hats on the floor, the, t- the socks that are in the right wrong way in the wash, like all that stuff that, you know, like I, I, they're snoring far out what I want to give to to hear that snoring again, right? Like the stuff that we take for granted is unbelievable. So I feel like I have this magic um, appreciation of what's actually truly important in life now. And this perspective, which is a gift, I will actually call that perspective a true gift that I never had. Yeah, you provide the power of perspective to people through the bravery of sharing your story. And I think in listening to you around the gift piece, I think it's okay for us if we've been on our own journeys. So there's so many things I can say to me are a gift out of the most enormous pain I've known that I wouldn't expect someone else to say were a gift. But to me, because of my journey, they are a gift. And I'm okay to call them a gift. But in listening to you, I'm hearing a woman who's saying, you're not the woman that you were before and you're just growing into the beauty of who you're becoming I'm hearing this expansiveness that you're creating to come home to yourself, which is just building on that DNA of who you were and what you're evolving into and who you will becoming into. You're creating the expansiveness in your environment by knowing the time when it's right to clear out the wardrobe, to move the ashes. You're creating the expansiveness within yourself to come home to yourself. And so that just really excites me for your future and conscious too that you have to be set free shortly to go and collect sage because we don't want her left. <laughs> I got it. I'm all good. I um I think one of the big things is trusting that divine guidance that we all that inner guidance that we all have. And I feel like and you talk about intuition. I feel like my intuition is supercharged. I feel like when you're really really um dropped into that heart space, I even feel like it's so um honed now that I can feel this tiny contraction or expansion um, with everything and there's this tiny expansive yes that I can feel 
with everything that's right for me. And there's this minor contraction that's something that's not right for me. And I can be led by this very small movement in this heart space, that heart chakra space, um, that feels an expansion or an opening or a contraction or a no. And therefore, everything is, feels genuinely so intuitively and so divinely guided. Um, and it's beautiful because the more you use that, the more you feel that, and then the more you realize that it was right. It's like a muscle. Like, you know, I train a lot at the gym. You're, you're training a muscle to work for you. You can train that intuition to be so, so strong and powerful that there's no guesswork anymore when you're up in your head. When you're up in this mind space or the ego space, you're dropping to this consciousness space where you are being divinely guided and there's a lot of power in that. There really is. That's how you get to co-create with the universe and have those sliding doors open, Kim. Um, so I, I'll i be honest with you, I've been really moved by our conversation today and I feel really privileged to have been part of this and to meet someone and to share space with someone who is a kindred soul. Like as I listen to you, there are just so many things that are the same for me. And you know, that that inner wisdom and that optimism about the future and the finding meaning. It's not, you know, we talk about gifts and gratitude, it's finding meaning and taking the courageous step of wanting to shine light for others and be that person that you didn't have and I feel the same and I'm am trying to do that as well and providing perspective and courage and all of that and I'm I yeah I'm I'm proud of myself and I'm proud of you and and these conversations that are so important that we're having um and this work that we're doing and so I'm yeah I feel a bit emotional but I'm so privileged so thank you <laughs> oh, I think, I, I think. Um, one of the things that I read once, and it's, I think it's true, grief doesn't change us. Grief reveals us, you know, um, and, and it, I, I feel like grief gave me permission to take off my mask, to take off my Miss Perfect PR, whatever it is that I thought I was, that, you know, like, um, and to actually really, truly step into who I really am, like, you know, the with the ugly crying or the the way I feel things or my inner woo-woo or my ancient or whatever, it, 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 grief, um, yeah, it doesn't change us. I really think that if we allow it, it really reveals us. It reveals who we truly are and there is a gift in that as well. Yeah, that's huge, being able to take the masks off, being able to come back to who we really are and keep growing that without the fear of, feeling judgment from other people because we don't become when you've had the worst that can happen to you whatever your worst is what else you know there's there's always a what else but you can sit in the fear because you know you can survive and you know you can thrive and and rounding up I just really like to share gratitude to you Janelle for being someone who can share your story of taking another breath surviving the unsurvivable and getting to a place where you're thriving and you're excited for the future and I just I can't wait to see how your journey evolves and how you keep coming back to yourself and how you keep creating expansiveness for yourself and others to be who they truly are and to share that in a way that helps the world because for me that's all it's about and there's one quote on your website that I think kind of sums it up and it's the wound is the place where the light gets in and when you can crack open and you can let the light in and then you can start reflecting that light back out man that's life to me like if someone asked me what what do you want to be known for it's just want to be known for love you know how do you share love light empathy um with people and it looks different for every one of us on our journeys but that's life to me you know and we all have our titles and our jobs that aren't really us the way you make them feel right accepted and loved and all of those things I think that's the that's the best legacy any of us could leave right yeah and so that would be my because we always like to leave listeners with a little bit of a spark in their thinking and I ask you Janelle to to leave what you'd like to leave them with but that would be one of my questions for our listeners is, you know, what can you do to leave someone feeling better today or better after a conversation than they were before they talked to you? And what can you do to make someone feel truly seen? Yeah. On your lived experience. I feel like maybe the post that I actually shared this morning is probably quite divinely there uh, to finish on. And I, I spoke this morning about how I thought that it's incredible shame that it often takes something monumentally confronting in life to make us step back and truly assess how we are living on a daily basis. 
Usually it's been faced with our own mortality, a massive health scare, divorce, redundancy, or the loss of someone very, very close to us. These events tend to shake us awake. They make us step back and look at things with new eyes and a renewed perspective. Being faced with immense soul-shuddering emotional upheaval forces us to meet ourselves in often the deepest and darkest of spaces, demanding that we put our own life under the microscope and asking ourselves the greatest and usually the most confronting question of all, am I truly happy? Don't wait for the soul-shattering confrontation, my friends. Give yourself permission now. Where aren't you being true to or honest with yourself? Where are you making allowances for things in your life that don't light you up? And what changes can you start to make to transform your daily life from what may feel like the mundane, truthfully, to the magic? Small changes and small steps make a commitment to start to pursue a life on a daily basis that you don't need to be shaken awake from. All love, Janelle. Oh, hallelujah to that. Oh, man, got me right in the feels there. <laughs> We're all going to need tissues after this conversation. <laughs> Kim, what would you like to say? I'm finishing up before we bring it home. Um, one of the profound things that I think you said, well, there was a lot, but one of the things that's really standing out for me is that people can only meet you as deeply as they have met themselves. And that, I think, is a really important thing for us to Bear in mind, in all aspects of our life, when we take things personally, when nothing's personal, and I think that's a really helpful way to look at things. So thank you for sharing that. That quote provided me with a lot of freedom when I read it. I released a lot of unmet expectation from people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's usually never about us, right? It's more into someone else. And, man, that just, I've, I sometimes I forget we're recording. I just get so involved in the Me conversation. Too. I actually <laughs> forgot we were recording this. <laughs> <laughs> Great, <too. laughs> usually, usually happens most times. Um, but how how can people find you? So rather than me reading out the handles they can get you. Oh, just you, find my Instagram at Janelle Brunton Mini. Um, I think that's the easiest and everything. Perfect. Great, and they can be guided to you from there. Thanks for the work that you do in this world, Janelle, and go forth and just keep doing you and supporting Sage to do the same. Big love to you for sharing. Thanks, guys.